This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Today, we're going to talk about the potential that we have in this room, in this community that we live in, to leave a legacy, to leave a legacy. I got in at 1 o'clock last night, so y'all just bear with me. If, if, I, get, if I seem a little lost, <laughs> I'm tired, y'all. I'm just tired, okay? And I've been speaking for three nights, but I wanted to come back and be here for this moment because this is a big moment for our church. And, and, and I want to take us back. At the very beginning of the year, I preached a message that we just simply have kind of coined uh, the, the table message. It, it gave us internally language that we've started to use. And if you think about the table, the table in, in, in family life is the most intimate place. It's the most intimate place. Of course, people come over and you sit on the front porch and there are people that come into the foyer and you maybe pass off or hand them something that they came over to get, maybe a package, and there are people that come in and sit down in the living room. But it's at the table that real relationship intimacy happens. It's at the table that some of us heard mom and dad tell stories from their childhood and talk about how they fell in love and met and got married. And it's maybe at the table that you've shared those same stories with your kids, right? It's at the table that some of us brought our now spouse over and they sat there and very timidly met mom and dad for the first time, right? It's at the table even that some of you have had some news that was shared that was hard. Maybe it was a diagnosis. Because that's what intimacy is. It's the closeness of a relationship. I think that's why Jesus was so criticized for sitting at the table with people who were far away from God. Because in his day and age, this sitting at the table thing meant that I receive you, I accept you, I believe in you. And so in Luke 15, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is why it was a big deal. Because the table was seen as an intimate, accepting setting. So I want to remind you of three things that I taught earlier this year that have become very important for us when it comes to the table as it relates to the the vision of of a church. Number one, we set the table. We set the table. We all set the table. I don't know if it was the same for you, but it's the same for us. Like the first job entrusted to our kids was to set the table. That was the first chore ever given, unless it involved knives, and then we didn't didn't give them knives (laughs) because we didn't trust them with them. All right, But, but we let them set the table. For some of you, that's the first job you ever did. And it seems like a little thing, but nobody wants to eat dinner if you don't have your spoon and your fork and your paper towels and all that kind of stuff that you need, right? It's part of the work that needs to be done. Here's what I realized about vision. All vision requires work. And some of you, some of you have a vision for your life. Maybe it's to be healthy. Maybe it's to start a business and you've backed off of that vision because it requires too much work. All vision requires work. And it's the same thing for us as a church family. 
We've got to work to set the table so that we get to present the message that Jesus has entrusted to us, a message of hope and reconciliation to everyone. So I want to remind you of a verse and point out something that I just noticed when I was studying this week. Look at this, Colossians 3, and and we've, we've looked at this recently a lot, but I want you to notice something. Work willingly at whatever you do, not just whatever you pick to do, at whatever you do. Work willingly. Don't withhold yourself as if you're some trophy and saying, I see work, but I'm not going to do that. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So no matter what you do, Jesus is always your boss. Now this is what I noticed. Look at this. This is verse 24. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And the master you're serving is Christ. So this kind of parallel statement of Jesus is your boss, your master is Christ. But in between, it says your reward is an inheritance. Now many of us want to work today and get our reward today. But the work that God calls you to do is work that will leave an inheritance, that will leave a legacy. As a church, I want you to get this picture in your mind. God has called us to do some work, but it's to leave a legacy, to leave a church that's around 50 years from now that our kids love, that our kids want to attend, to leave an inheritance It's not, the work doesn't immediately result in some reward today. See, we live in fast food, drive-through culture where we want everything right now the way we want it. But when God calls you into work, it's to cultivate an inheritance. So we will set the table. Number two, we'll make room at the table. In our hearts, these, these chairs right here, these are always important chairs for us. Because there are chairs that are open and need to be open. Because there are people that need to be sitting in these chairs. The open chair for us represents the person who is lost and needs to be here but isn't here. The person who's lost and needs to be here but isn't here. In Luke 15, Jesus tells three consecutive stories about things that are lost. A a lost sheep and the shepherd leaves the 99, goes finds the one, brings it back, has a party. A woman loses a coin. This coin represents a significant part of of her uh, heritage, right? This is a really big investment, this coin. And so she loses the coin, tears the house apart, finds the coin, throws a party. And then there's a father in the story that we call the prodigal son who loses a son to wayward living, a father who loses his son, and then all of a sudden the son is redeemed to the father, comes home to the father, and what happens? The father throws a party. The father throws a party. Can I just tell you what we exist to do? We exist as a church to make sure that heaven's partying. That's why we're here, to make sure that heaven is partying as lost people. Because when Jesus tells that story, he says there is more rejoicing in heaven over one person who repents than there is over 99 who think they're righteous. We want heaven to party every Sunday as lost people become found. Look at what Jesus said, Luke 5. Healthy people do not need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. 
we have been given this message, and we have to make room at the table. We have to make room at the table for people to sit and to dine with the king. And number three, one table is not enough. One table is not enough. Any growing family will soon outgrow one table. My, my, my family, we are finally sitting down. We have six chairs at our table. There are five of us. We almost just ourselves outgrown our table. It's, it's a little bit of chaos when we have meals, okay? But it's a lot of fun. All right, some of y'all remember that, that moment when, when back in the day it, it grew and not, not, not everybody could sit at grandma's table anymore. And so you had different tables throughout the house. And those of us that were the kids, we were pretty excited about that because we got to eat dinner and watch cartoons at the same time. All right. And it was awesome. We weren't, we weren't upset that we weren't in the room with the adults because the environment made sense for us for where we were. Any growing family will soon outgrow one table. Some of you are experiencing that now at Thanksgiving with your parents. You're outgrowing the table. So I think Jesus um, talks about this. He's, he's talking about heaven, but I like to think of it as a picture of the church today, that it, there are many rooms in my Father's house. There are many rooms in my Father's house. There are many rooms. We like to think of it as, well, you know, when we finally get to heaven, it's not like we get a mansion. We just get a room in one big house. We get, all get to live together. But I also like to think of it as this is what the church is supposed to be about today. It's all his. It's all, it, it all belongs to God. This is just different expressions. We all serve and love the same Jesus. We're all preaching from the same Bible. We're all on the same team. The church across town that's growing is not against us. Okay? We're all on the same team. But we've kind of come from this language to coin this term. That we at Vortex want to be one house with many rooms. Now, this past January, I preached this table message, and I told you this is a direct quote from that message. In 2019, we'll start making intentional moves towards making room by opening a second location. By opening another room. Same house, different room. So I want to explain, before I get into the details today, I want to explain one house with many rooms. And the first thing I want you to see is that one house means one vision under united leadership. I want everyone to hear me today when I, when I say this. I know you write down your notes. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Just look at me for a second. The vision for our church is not up for negotiation. I don't care how much money you have, how many people you threaten to walk with. I don't care. I'll go back to one person, me, if it means sticking to the vision that God gave me. It's not up for negotiation. It's not for sale. The vision of our church is that we want to invite people to come and to place Jesus at the center of their lives. And we want to invest in their journey in growing closer and closer and closer and becoming more and more and more like Jesus. That's the vision of our church. We're not changing that, y'all. We're not changing. It's not up for negotiation. But we've developed a leadership team to guide that vision, to make sure that that vision is happening. And I want you to hear this because when I say leadership team, there are some of you that have a very worldly perspective of leadership. When we say leadership, we say this literally all the time. We don't talk about power. Some of you, when you hear the term leader, you think about power. 
In the Bible, when the Bible talks about leader, it talks about serve. The greatest among you will be the least. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. A leader is a servant. And our leadership team is not sitting there at the the top with all the power and the hierarchy. As a matter of fact, if you look at our organizational chart, the leadership team is at the bottom supporting the ministry. So I want you to hear that in light of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. This is a church that the Apostle Paul planted, and he's writing them. He's addressing a specific issue that I'm going to talk about in just a second, but look at what he says. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions, no divisions, no divisions in the church, rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Notice he doesn't say you have to all be just alike. Isn't it good that we can be different colors, that we can be from different ethnic backgrounds? Isn't it good that we can come in from different social experiences and we can come in and be a part of the same family? Isn't that a good thing to know? Because when he says unity, he says unity in thought and purpose, in vision and purpose. You need to be united in those two things. If this is going to work, you've got to be united. And so I just want to plead with you that as we build one house, it will be under one vision with united leadership. One, one house also means for us that the mission of the, ch- the church is centrally managed. The the mission of the church is centrally managed. Our mission isn't going to change. There there are still people in our community that need to meet Jesus, find freedom, and discover their purpose. And as long as there are broken and lost people within driving distance of a campus, our church isn't big enough. It is not about numbers. It's about people. It's about people who are lost, people who need hope, and people who need to be reconciled to God. As long as there's one lost family that's near us, our mission isn't fulfilled. As long as there's one lost family that's near us, our mission isn't done. So what what does it mean to centrally manage the mission? It means that, no, the mission has gotten larger than one singular voice leading it. This is honestly the cap for most churches because they want one voice, just one voice to speak into everything. But here's the thing. We've been raising up voices. Some of y'all have been confused about it. Why are they, why are they preaching? Why isn't, why isn't Kevin preaching? He's our pastor. Some of y'all don't know how to deal with it. As a matter of fact, the Corinthian church didn't know how to deal with it either. They were immature. You know, They were nowhere near as mature as we are, you know. Because we would never say anything like, I really like it when so-and-so speaks. But, you know, if I would have known so-and-so was speaking today, I probably would have just stayed home and watched it online. I really love it when this worship leader leads worship, but when this worship, you know, it's just, I don't really get as much out of that. We're, we're, I know we're a lot more mature than ever making those kind of statements. But that's the kind of maturity that was present in the Corinthian church. Paul had planted the church. There had been other teachers that came through. One main one, Apollos, came through and was a significant teacher. Look at how he handles the division that is growing. 
when one of you says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting like the people of this world? Just a heads up. That's a really big insult. Aren't you acting like the people, oh, I love it when so-and-so speaks, when so-and-so lead worship. No, look, look at how he deals with this. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or do, who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their hard work. For we, those of us that have voices, are God's workers, and you are God's field. We're planting in you. And you are God's building. I love this so much as it's happening within our church that this Labor Day, we're going to have 10 speakers. You think I'm joking. We're calling it our three by fives, our, our five by sevens. I'm sorry, I totally messed that up just now. All right, <laughs> five by seven. All right, five speakers, seven minutes each, five different speakers in each service. Ten voices that are shaping the future of our church, and I'm not one of them. And I'm excited about it. And can I just say this? Most of them are women. I want you to know if you're a lady here, that we value you, we love you, we believe that you can lead, make a difference in the, in the church, and we want to empower you to do that. Your voice is heard, okay? It's going to be a fun Sunday. I don't know if you've ever noticed the way that we approach organization when we talk about things. My, my title is lead pastor. It's not senior pastor. We don't have a senior pastor. Actually, we do have a senior pastor. His name is Jesus. And it's just my job to lead the vision that he gave us. So we're one house and that means that the mission of our church is centrally managed. Let's talk about many rooms. Number three, many rooms recognizes that any container, large or small, has a limit. Any container, large or small, has a limit. This, this is one thing that we need to recognize in the context of church. All right? Churches, based on research, rarely grow to beyond 80% of their capacity. That's seating capacity, kids' capacity, and other capacities within the church. 80% is the max. All right? As a matter of fact, some researchers say that it's 70% in rural communities like ours. Because y'all aren't used to sitting next to each other. Y'all don't get on trains or public transit and sit next to somebody. You're used to having your space. So y'all don't want to sit next to each other if you're honest, right? We love you, but leave that seat in between me and you, please. If you come sit next to me, I am uncomfortable. I'm just going to say it for you, okay? So let's, let me just give you some stats. We have 185 seats in this auditorium that are available once we get done with our, our setup. 185 seats. You add 20% for kids, add 10% for students. All right, multiply that by two and then divide it by 80%. Of our functional capacity here is 385 people per Sunday. The last several years, we've averaged over 400 people per Sunday. 
which means we're not even doing, we're, we're way above what is what we're supposed to even be capable of. Like we're, we're killing it, but we don't have any more room. We've outgrown the container. Number four, many rooms will allow us to grow bigger and closer while staying smaller. Leave that up. Let me explain those words. Bigger, closer, smaller. Bigger means that we want to increase our reach. It's not about bigger numbers. It's not about bigger crowds. It's about that person that's lost that has never found a church home that they feel comfortable with that has never been loved into redemption, that, that is lost and scared of coming to a normal traditional church that has never, ever, there, there are some of you that that's your story. And there are more people like you. And as long as they exist, our mission isn't fulfilled. We want to get bigger, not because of the numbers, not because of any kind of thing. We just want to get bigger because there are more people that need to be reached. We want to be closer. Now, when we say that in church, we mean like, let's hug it out, y'all. Like, let's just get up and love on each other, right? Greet each other with the holy kiss. We're going to practice that right now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just just kidding. We're not going to make you kiss each other. That would be gross. Okay, um, But that's not what I mean. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of research that shows that people will rarely drive more than 15 minutes to go to church. Now, many of you do, and and that's been a part of our story, that we've reached beyond 15 minutes. But there are people in towns that are beyond 15 minutes that will not drive to come here, that will come to church if we go to them. Isn't that the message of what Jesus did? He came to us when we couldn't go to him. So we want to be closer. We want to start campuses in Troy and in Mount Gilead and in Bisco. And even in towns like Norwood. All right, we want to. Because we want to get closer to people who won't make that drive. But we want to be smaller. Instead of one big building, one big building where people come in and feel lost and feel like a number, why don't we just build a bunch of small campuses, a bunch of small rooms? My pastor, Pastor Dan, who who pastors East Coast Christian Church in Merritt Island, Florida, speaks into us. He's come to speak in August. He's an amazing communicator, amazing leader. About 15 years ago, he stood up in front of the church. They had the potential to buy a building right next to their church. It was going to cost $25 million just to buy the building. He said, guys, I just feel burdened from the Lord this morning. What, what if instead of one campus at 20, we took that $25 million and we just built a bunch of small campuses? What if we did that? What if we got closer to people? At that time, there were around 1,500 people. Today, there are around 5,000 people in four locations about to launch their fifth. Because they were willing to sacrifice the big crowd to be close. So what God did about a year ago is God shifted the vision in my heart from building one big building to that, building smaller campuses. Some of us know that there are a lot of big buildings in Stanley County that are very empty right now. Churches that are carrying loads of debt because they got this idea, let's build a big building and lots of people will come. And God really corrected me on that and redirected me. 
And instead of looking for 20 to 25,000 square feet, I started looking for 10. And this year in 21 days of prayer and fasting, I started praying and fasting about it. And it had always been a part of my, my prayers during that season, but this year was the only thing I prayed about. It's the only thing. It's like, God, we need, the, we, there are people who need what we can give them. And right now we don't have room for them. God help us. God help us. God help us. And so I just started pushing and pushing and pushing. See, part of the problem is several years ago, we told you that we were looking into the possibility of doing a portable location. And while we could afford it financially, we couldn't afford it with leadership because part of the challenge in starting campus number two is that you don't go from needing one leader in each ministry area, you go to leading three now, all of a sudden, we need three areas. So take children's ministry. We no longer need one children's pastor here at Eastgate. We need three because we need one here. We need one there. And then we need one centrally to manage them. So two years ago, we started working on putting that team together, creating that pipeline. Who's the next person? Who's the person to lead it? And I'm happy to tell you that we have the team in place. We have the leaders here. We have the people already in training to take care of the next campus. So we took that off the table and just said, God, it's up to you whenever you want to do it. There are some things about a building that we're looking for that we need. We need some high ceilings. We need 13-foot ceilings. That's hard to find. We need about eight to 10,000 square feet. So I was driving downtown and past the building. I just felt the Lord speak to me, and I called our real estate agent, and I walked in. And I was like, you're kidding me. I've, I've driven past this building so many times. And I popped one of the ceilings out, ceiling tiles out, and I looked up. And the ceiling was 13 feet tall with metal trusses running across, which means that there are no load-bearing walls on, on the floor. We could literally gut the whole place and start over. And so I called our trustees and said, guys, I need you to come over and look at this property. I think this could be a potential home for a second campus. It's not far away. And that's actually a good thing for your second campus because the closer it is, the more easier it is to manage. Right? We need to make room. We have an opportunity to make room. Guys, come look at this. One of them texted me on the way over and said, this is going to be a waste of time. I love you. But I know the building you talk about, and this ain't going to work. That same trustee walked out after walking through that building, looking at the vision that I felt like God gave me. And he looked at me and he said, I believe in it. Let's go for it. Let's go. Let's go. So here's the plan. Okay, I want to show you what the, bu the building is. Three stories. You walk in from street level into the middle. All right. So the top floor is going to look like this. It's going to be offices. We're going to have Google-style offices there, which is, means an open office with a lot of people crammed into it. It's great for them except for my office, which I get my own. All right, praise God. All right. All right, so it's going to be a really cool uh, environment for our office, for uh, a lot of collaboration, an open uh, kitchen upstairs for catering when we do events because all of our stuff like vintage and starting point will move to this location. Here's what the auditorium is going to end up looking like. Okay, it's a, right now, this, this is an earlier drawing, shows about 142 seats. We've got it up to 150 seats. There's a coffee bar, all right, so not just coffee like we have. You're going to be able to get some mochas and some cappuccinos, okay? You're, they're going to cost a little bit of money, 
The money's going to go to missions, okay? Just want you to understand how it's going to flow, okay? Then, then there's 150 seats in the auditorium. You see towards the back, it tiers, right? So it gets up a little bit of a theater-style seating, so that the, the seating is raised towards the back. The stage is not very big. This auditorium is uniquely designed to do video, okay? To record and capture video and to show video, okay? Uniquely designed for that purpose, all right, there will be a very like high-level AV stuff installed into this to be able to facilitate recording live video there and showing video there. It's going to be very unique for us. I'm excited about that. Okay, and then this is the, the bottom floor, which is where our kids space. So uh, parents will enter from the back. There's a nursery with a dedicated bathroom, preschool, dedicated bathroom, elementary with two bathrooms right across the hall, and then uh, meeting space for our students. All right? Parents will come upstairs and join the rest of us. That's what the plans look like. So let me give you the plans of how we're going to implement the campus. Okay, the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to deploy a leadership team there that is going to just take ministry and put it on lockdown. We're going to put a campus pastor there that's there to take care of the people, host the services, make sure everything is running well. Okay, we will likely start with this campus with an evening service. It's either going to be Saturday or Thursday. Okay, we're, we're still debating as a leadership team, which is the best for our culture, for our town, and for our team. Okay, we're just trying to figure that out. But at that service, Thursday night or Saturday night, we'll record the message. And on Sunday morning, we'll have two live services where there will be live worship. There, the campus pastor will host it. But the teaching is going to be on video. The teaching is going to be on video. And some of y'all are asking, why video teaching? Why wouldn't I just stay home and watch a video? Do me a favor and, and just look to the left or right of you. That's why. That's why. Because there's a power in being together. And here's why we're embracing video teaching. Because right now we'll do anything short of sin to reach lost people. And video simply opens more possibilities for future venues and campuses to reach them. It's the simplest answer. And it keeps me personally at a pace that is sustainable where I won't burn out. So it'll be video on Sunday morning. This campus will stay here. We are actively right now searching to buy land that this campus will move to in a permanent location in the future. It's important. It's important because we want to make room. We want to make room. We want to invite people to the table. See, I want to remind you of a story you've heard before. It's the story of Zacchaeus, right? He was a wee little man apparently, right? And he climbed up in a tree. We've heard that song. We sang that in Bible school when we were kids. But Zacchaeus was a tax collector. As a matter of fact, he was described by the people who knew him in the scriptures as a notorious sinner. Not the notorious B-I-G, a notorious sinner. Okay? He extorted people in his community to take money out of their pockets above and beyond what their taxes were. And he was hated. And Jesus 
went to his house, invaded his house, invited himself over to go into his community so that he could sit down in his house. And as they talked, Zacchaeus repented to Jesus, said, Jesus, I'm sorry for everything I've done. I'll pay everybody back, not just, but twice as much as I've stolen. And pay attention to what Jesus said. Today is salvation day in this home. Because there was a table that was opened up to Jesus. There was a room that was opened up to Jesus. Today, salvation has come to this home. Look, here he is. He's Zacchaeus. He's the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to find and restore the lost. That's why Vortex Church exists. We exist to invite those that are far from God to dine at the table of the master. And we exist to make room at that table so that they have that opportunity. It is not about us. I want you to know as we open this second location what we're doing. We're saying to our community, we're here to stay. We're here to stay. This movement of life change and redemption that started seven years ago where a thousand people have given their lives to Jesus, it's not just a passing fad or trend. This isn't a church that's going to shut down in a few years. No, we're here to stay. And the church is getting stronger, not just our church, but the church is getting stronger because the message of Jesus is real and it's relevant and it's making a difference in people's lives. We're here to stay. We're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. This isn't a passing movement. No, we're here to stay. Over the next few months, we're going to challenge you to consider giving a regular offering to what we're calling our Here to Stay campaign. Now, in 2015, we started the Legacy Fund, which is a, an, an account for us that has been set aside where we have given to that as a church. We have taken up special offerings for that. That money is only used for future expansion of our church. Every dollar given today will go to the Legacy Fund. Every single dollar. You came in prepared to give. You give online today. It doesn't matter. But you, every time you give online, you can designate to give to the Legacy Fund. And what we're challenging you to do is to consider giving an offering. Let me just explain that. An offering is above and beyond the tithe. The tithe is meant that 10%. You bring that to God. That funds and fuels ministry. Offering is above and beyond the tithe. If you can commit to $25 or $50 a month, it has the potential to make a significant difference in the future of our church. That money goes straight. As you sign up, you can, you can give online where you can choose the Legacy Fund as your destination. It's not regular giving. Those are the two options. Or you can give today in, in cash or check. All you have to do is put in the memo, Legacy Fund. And that money's never pulled out to pay for items. It's never pulled out to pay for operational costs. It's never pulled out to pay for us to go on a, on a trip or any kind of conference. That's, that money is only used for future expansion. So we want to challenge you to pray. Just pray. This is what we're asking. Pray. God, how much do you want us to give as an offering? Pray about it. And whatever God tells you, be obedient. Be obedient to what God tells you. 
even if it's just $25 or $50 a month, it can make a huge difference. You see, this isn't about me. As a matter of fact, when I started dreaming about Vortex, I never dreamed that it could be what it is today. There have been so many times along the journey that I've had to repent and say, God, apparently my vision was a lot smaller than yours. We were almost 400 people last week in the middle of the summer. This is ridiculous what God's done. But there is so much more. It's not about me. It's not about, it's not even about us. It's not a, about us going to the cool church or the big church. It's not, it's not about us. It's not even, ultimately, it's not about our city. It's ultimately about Jesus. It's about making him known. It's about making his kingdom greater. It's about making the things of God matter in this city. Let me tell you what happens. That's it's our heart. We want it to be your heart too. But what if every one of us embraced, embraced God? It's not about me. It's not about what, what I need. It's not even about, it's all about you. All I have is about you. All our resources are about you. God, there, there are need to be empty seats at the table so that people can come and receive what you have for them. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. What would happen if we all in this room embraced that? Here's what would happen. Is we would make it really hard to go to hell in Stanley County. That's what would happen. That some of your family members that you've been saying they're never, they're never, they're ne they, would, they would turn around because of the power of what God's doing and their lives would be changed. We would go into communities where people who would never think of going to church would come and show up and lives would be changed. That we would make it hard to go to hell. And we would make it easy for people to find freedom and purpose in Jesus. Because that's what it's been for many of us. And that's what we want for those lost and broken families. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.